You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, and Alex Barallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. Uh, another week in the books, and uh, looks like another loss for the New York Jets as they fell this weekend to the Patriots 25-6 to in the home opener. Uh, bad start to the season, uh, but, you know, these are the things that we should be anticipating when we have a young, inexperienced team and a young, inexperienced quarterback. Uh, really can't sugarcoat it. Um, the Jets were awful on majority um, of all the phases of the game here. Um, yeah, this is just not one of those great scenarios here. There's not going to be a lot of positive things to bring up into the show as uh, this was a horrific performance. Zach Wilson, uh, in his young career, clearly had his worst game of his life, but he's only had two games. But uh, I can tell you this. We, we experienced the the bad game where Zach Wilson throws four interceptions. I wholeheartedly look forward to the game where he throws four touchdowns because um, I'm sure that will be just as sweet. Um this is just one of those weird games. I was uh, reviewing the box score and, and looking at certain things. And, you know, a lot of things, if I were to tell you without the outscore of the game, and I, if, what if I told you the Jets won the time of possession, they had more first downs, they had more total yards of offense, um, and they had, you know, obviously more return yards letting up all those scores, uh, and they ran more plays and they averaged more yards per play than their opponent, but they still lost the game. Just one of those really, really odd statistical type of games. But when you turn the ball over four times and you you give the opponent, no matter who they are, great field position and kind of put the defense on their heels, uh, it's really, really uh, not that hard to see that, you know, things went awry quite quite fast in the game. Uh, You know, at this point, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of fingers that can be pointed in all sorts of directions. Um, but at this point in time, uh, you know, we, this is a team sport and collectively uh, they didn't do what they, they didn't execute the game plan. Um, so I do see that I have a caller on the line. I do believe that this is Glenn and let's get him on. Glenn, is that you? It is me. How you doing, Alex? I'm doing, doing so-so. Um, I'm over the Jets game. Uh, you know, I've learned as a veteran uh, dealing with uh, the doom and gloom of this team, uh, you can't let it dwell on you too long. You have to just, you know, Monday stinks, but then when Tuesday rolls around, on to the next week, right? Um, but anywho, this has been a while since you and I have been uh, actually on a show physically together, so so I'm a little bit excited. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to figure this thing out. Um, but yeah, go ahead, Glenn. Um, I was just kind of opening up with my beginning thoughts on the game and, and yeah, go ahead and, uh, let us hear what, what's on your mind with this past, uh, weekend's loss against the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, well, first off, yeah, it's great to finally get on together. It's been a while. It's, uh, things have just been so crazy. I actually, uh, made sure I had the night off work tonight and then I, you know, my job called me. I said, look, I can only come in if you can promise me some time to call into the show. So I'm glad I can. Um, but listen, you know, it's a disappointing loss, uh, you know, especially I think the thing that makes it tough is that, you know, you're now one or two weeks away from realistically not not playing any meaningful football at any point in the season. Um, and that, that stings because week one was a winnable game. They play a little bit better in that first half. Uh, and then this past week, as you said, listen, you, you're not going to win games when you turn the ball over four times. Zach Wilson turned it over four times. I, I mean, I know you said, Alex, you can point to this guy and that guy and this unit, but to me, it, it, 
in this game, it came down to Zach Wilson. He was the reason the Jets didn't win the game. It sucks, but it's going to happen. A rookie quarterback, any quarterback, you know, you know, you could be a Hall of Fame quarterback. You're going to have weeks where you don't produce, and it's going to put your team behind the eight ball, and you're going to lose. And listen, he had the four picks that I, you know, I talked about. I did a brief recap after the game, and um, you know, after looking at it again, it's to me, you know, I look at it this way: he had the four picks. The first one clearly his fault. The second one clearly not his fault. The third one clearly his fault. The fourth one, unless you're in that huddle, and you, because to me, the way I always look at it, Alex, if I see any quarterback at any game, any time, throw a ball where there is not a single guy wearing the same color jersey he is within 10, 15 yards of the ball, somebody screwed up. And we don't know who it is. Mm. So Zach right. Wilson delivered the ball to the right spot, but someone ran the wrong route. That's not really on him. But if he, if the receiver ran the right route and Zach Wilson threw to the wrong spot, then it's 100% on him. So we don't know, you know, which, how much of it falls on him. But to me, enough of it falls on him that, that he's the reason they lost the game. The defense was fantastic. Um, I don't know if you saw, Alex, I, I tweeted out a couple times. I, I think by the third play of the game, I literally only three plays in on defense, and I tweeted out that Foley Fadakasi looked unblockable. I mean, I thought he was the best defender on on the team on the day. Um, C.J. Mosley also looked really good. It's been very encouraging to see these young corners play well. But, again, as I said after the game, they haven't really been challenged. But at the same time, the coverage has been tight. You know, when you watch the All-22 they're providing really good coverage. Bryce Hall, I think, has only been targeted twice. Um, so we're seeing much better play from the corners than anticipated. <clears throat> Pardon me. The D-line has been very good. The D-line, they're getting pressure. As I said, week one, we, we didn't see a ton of pressures on Sam because he checked down so many times. He threw 22 passes within 10 yards of the line. So the, the Jets were getting penetration. But you, you're not going to get to any quarterback when the ball keeps coming out in two seconds. Um so, and then this past week, again, the, the penetration was there, the pressures were there, but uh, the, the Patriots just kept it simple. They they ran a lot of short stuff, didn't see the ball throw down the field a lot. So, and, you know, Alex, I think we, I, I can't recall if you and I have had this conversation um, because I, I try not to, to dwell on it too often because a lot of people, you know, have a, you know, strongly disagree, and I don't like having the same arguments over and over again. Call it what you will. People say all the time, there's no such thing as a moral victory. There are no moral victories in the NFL. You win or you lose, and that's it. No moral victory. I, I get that, but as I've said a few times in the past, I disagree in that to know that the rest of the team played really well collectively, that means you're that much closer to being a winning football team. Um, and Sheldon Rankin talked about it after the game. And he said, look, you know, we did a lot of good things today. And I tweeted out after the game, I said, that, you know, the, the Zach Wilson interceptions are going to overshadow it, but the Jets did a lot of good things. Right now the D-line minus Carl Lawson looks about as good as we hoped it would. The corners have looked better than we thought they would. C.J. Mosley looks better than some people thought he would. The O-line was terrible in week one, much improved in week two. So there is, I mean, there, there are things in place for this team to turn things around quickly. But Alex losing week one, a winnable game, and then if they turn around and lose this next one, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we hear it every year. Teams that start zero and three, they generally make the playoffs. About you know, uh, I'm not even going to ballpark it, but it's it's highly highly unlikely. It's very rare that an zero and three team. And like I said, I, I thought this team. If, if Lawson was, you know, before Lawson went down and when they added Moses, I thought they could win eight, nine games and push for a playoff spot. Um, you lose your first three or four, that's not going to happen. But, Alex, what I want to ask you, because we have to cover it, because you can't have football without drama, I want your take. I'm going to offer my take. Denzel Mims, what, what do you think is going on? What do you think of it? Are the Jets doing the right thing? Yeah, it's, it's really, really a bizarre scenario. Uh, you know, the fact that he was inactive, as far as I know, he's healthy. I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I could be wrong. 
in regards to his health. I know that during training camp he got a little nicked up and, you know, had a few days where he was doing some limited stuff. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, as far as my knowledge is, is that he, he was a healthy scratch. And, you know, I was looking at the box score earlier today and seeing, and I remember this kind of in garbage time, you know, Braxton, it was a Braxton Burial show. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, and I'm like, you know, I, I know that this Braxton guy, he's a, he's a good character, he's a good locker room guy, but you, you can't tell me that there aren't other players, younger players that we can develop and, and utilize and say, hey, you know, this is the time where the game's lost and we can we can try to get some, you know, not mental reps, but physical reps for these guys, you know, in a game that we know that we're not going to win. And, and, you know, let's dial them up a couple times. You know, there is no scenarios where you can tell me that Braxton Berrios should be leading the team um, with targets and reception yards in a game, especially when you have all that talent, you know, in the wide receiver room. You know, collectively, with all the different position groups, you know, I still feel the defensive line is the strongest, but you could easily say that, you know, the second, um, you know, most talented group would probably be the wide receivers in my mind. And I know that's debatable, but, you know, that's just how I see it. So this is quite bizarre. Um, you know, I know that Robert Sala had mentioned in a press conference, I think after week one, that Mims didn't have the full understanding of, you know, all the wide receiver spots. And I think that's kind of odd or, or curious because it's like, why are you trying to take, you know, a square peg and, and, and put it into a round hole? You know, if he is an outside guy and he works well on the boundary and he works well in deep passing situations and stretching the field, then put him into where he put him in a position where he does what he can do best and, and, and begin to stack on those other little things. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't play not sit a guy because, you know, he doesn't have all the nuance route running like a Jamison Crowder out the slot position. That's Jamison's job. That's Braxton's job. That's Elijah Moore's job. Uh, you know, and, and no disrespect to the Vince or Jeff Smith of the world, but, those guys shouldn't be getting snaps over Denzel Mims, especially with the draft capital we put into him. Um, and, and just the fact that he's a young, talented player that is not going to get any better being inactive and not playing, especially if he's healthy. Last year, he knew that he wasn't healthy. And then he came in and he looked all right, and then he got banged up again, and then he looked good at the end. So I, I, I don't understand it. I can't, you know, put my mind around it. Um, either the front office has realized, hey, guys, we thought we had a talented player who did phenomenal in the NFL Combine. He looked good on film. You know, he put up good numbers in college. Maybe he's a system guy. Maybe the Baylor system just is what made him who he is, and he's not what we expected him to be. I'm just speculating. I really don't believe in that, but – you know, I'm trying to think of what they may be seeing or what they may be thinking because sometimes we covet players and we think of them very highly and the Jets are just completely in the opposite direction about them. So I hope this is not the scenario and, and things, you know, work out as the, the weeks go by. But if he continues to be inactive, uh, the writing's on the wall and, and it would not surprise me, you know, if he gets dealt this year or dealt next off season, or or even, you know, a surprise cut at some point. Uh, because why would you carry a player that you have no interest in going forward or deploying on the field? Uh, it just doesn't make sense in that, that nature. So, yeah, th- this MIM situation is going to be something that I'm sure we're going to be talking about uh, a lot until until we start seeing him on the field doing what we hope he can do. So, all right, some, some good points. I, I think the um, – first of all, let me say I'm trying to – because it, it, you're right, it's bizarre. To me, it's bizarre for a lot of reasons, and I'll get into that. But the the only scenario I can envision where I can be where I can side with the Jets on this, they feel like Denzel Mims isn't dedicated enough, and they're questioning his his work ethic, his commitment, and maybe they're looking at it and saying, "Look, this guy is too talented to cut. We need to find a way to light a fire under him." to get him to sort of recalibrate and commit to being as good as he can be. That, to me, is defensible. Now, if that's not the case, if Denzel Mims is doing everything that has been asked of him, if there are no issues with his work ethic, 
then the Jets could not be more wrong in the way they're handling this. This season was supposed to be, I mean, how many times did you say it? Did I say it? Did Dylan say it? Did every Jet fan on the planet say this team screwed up with Sam? They need to get it right with Zach, surround him with weapons, put him in a position to succeed. And as you just said now, and as I said after the game, Braxton Berrios, Jeff Smith are not better players than Denzel Mims at all. I like both of them. I can see where I can see what the team likes in them, but they are not better than Denzel Mims. I don't want to hear that he, but he plays Corey Davis's position. You're telling me there's no scenario where an offensive player can figure, or an offensive coach, coordinator can't figure out a way to get Denzel Mims and Corey Davis on the field at the same time. This is impossible to some people. Yeah. Well, he's benched because he plays Davis's position. You can't have one guy on one side and one on the other for a few snaps a game. Everything has to be textbook. There's there's no reason you can't get him in there for a few reps. But the most disturbing thing to me about all of this is, first of all, Robert Sala saying he's not playing. And this is something, Alex, not enough people – I was surprised more people didn't pick up on this because I thought this would have been, get, been getting tweeted out and commented on and all that. But Robert Sala said or has been saying Denzel Mims isn't out there because he's got to learn all three spots. If you're not one of the top three guys, you have to be able to play anywhere. Um, and then he says the other day after the game when he was pressed again on Mims, he said he's got to learn all the spots. And even when he does – I don't think the guys ahead of him are going to give their spots up. So he's basically saying even when he does learn every position, he's still not getting on the field. Because I don't – Robert Sala said, I don't see Jeff Smith giving up his spot. So you're not just saying that he's not on the field because he doesn't know the playbook. You're saying once he does know the playbook, you still don't think he's going to get on the field. And this is, like I said, if it's a motivational ploy to piss Denzel Mims off and get him to say, I'll show you, then fine. It's a psychological game. They're, they're, they're messing with his head to try to get him motivated. I can live with that. But if Robert Sala really believes that Denzel Mims isn't good enough to get on the field over Jeff Smith, and, and listen, they, you want to say Jeff Smith can be a gunner on special teams. How much better is Jeff Smith as a gunner than Denzel Mims is versus how much better Denzel Mims is as a wide receiver than Jeff Smith. So basically, I would rather have wide receiver slash gunner Denzel Mims than gunner slash wide receiver Jeff Smith. Because if this is about the quarterback and building around him and getting it right, but you're prioritizing you're sitting a guy who's probably your second best receiver. You're sitting him for a gunner. I'm not, I'm not buying it. It doesn't make sense. So, as I said, the only way it does make sense is if it's trying to motivate the guy. Because the other thing that Sala said that was, you know, well, I guess it, it ties into what I just said. But in this day and age, and I talked to someone about this earlier, I get that back in the days of Bill Parcells, you know, when – when we were younger, coaches would openly criticize guys, say he's not good enough, he's not ready to play, he needs time. And you just don't hear that nowadays. So while there was a time where that wouldn't have registered with me, to say that nowadays where players are so coddled and coaches almost never criticize a guy, especially Robert Sal, the guy hasn't been here long, but he's, he's all about positivity and good energy and happy and smiling and this and that. And he comes out the other day and says, you know, before he says, I don't know if those guys want to go to the spot. He says, Denzel Mims will get on the field when he's a better player than them. You just came out, you just came out and said Jeff Smith, undrafted free agent, who's got about 200 career yards, is a better player than Denzel Mims. I mean, you're, you're really – that's about as harsh as it gets in 2021 in terms of criticizing players. Because let's face it, these guys are highly paid – fragile egos, and I'm, I'm, get, I'm not saying coaches should. I'm just saying coaches do. 
They do treat these guys with kid gloves, and you rarely, if ever, hear a coach come out and say something like, that dude's on the bench because the guy in front of him is better than he is. And especially in a case where most people, if not all, would disagree with that assessment. So we either have a head coach who's doing a poor job of evaluating the talent or who just doesn't like the guy who's on his roster. And really, if you look at the way George Fant played in week one when you benched Morgan Moses, there are already questions about your ability to evaluate the talent on your roster. So it's it's an ugly situation, and the way they're talking about Mims, I don't see him getting on the field anytime soon. You're literally saying, uh, yeah, he's not playing because he doesn't know the playbook, and once he learns it, he's not going to play then either. So... It's wild. Like yeah, I said, I hope they're trying to motivate him, Alex. I hope they're trying to I hope they're trying to motivate him, but we'll we'll find out in the coming weeks because the other thing, Alex, how long has he had the playbook? I mean, we're only two weeks into exactly. the season, but I would imagine I I could be wrong here. I know there's rules on when coaches can and can't contact players in the off season. But I would imagine mm-hmm. with everything everything being electronic nowadays, that the, as soon as you hire your coordinator the players get a, a, you know, a link to click to get into the playbook and, and get their nose in the playbook in the offseason. And even if they don't, you, you at least got the damn thing by OTAs, by minicamp. That, that's now, what, four or five months ago? So five months in and you're like, yeah, this guy still doesn't know the playbook. Or he doesn't know enough of it to get him on the field for a handful of plays. It, it's weird, man. It's weird, but leave it to the Jets. Leave it to the Jets, Alex. There was some... Um, sorry to interject there, but there were some times no, that I do remember when, when I was at camp and when they were going through walkthroughs and they were, you know, um, you know, setting up their formations and their alignments and things like that. And they, they weren't doing the 11 on 11 stuff. They were, you know, just kind of doing seven on seven or, you know, the coaches would line up as the defensive players and the receivers have to, you know, start executing the scheme and things like that. And there were some times, um, where Mims didn't line up in the right position, and he got pulled right out the rep and, and got replaced. Um, so, you know, there were some mental errors that I did notice that he went through, and, you know, clearly those situations have stuck out in their mind. And, you know, we got to remember that this was Joe Douglas's guy that he brought in before Sala and LaFleur came in. And, you know, Lord knows if he was backed by Gase, and that was somebody that maybe he wanted, but – you know, we can't really tell if that's a Douglas guy or a Gase guy. And, uh, but, yeah, there, there is some, some validity to what you're saying that, you know, we as fans hold Mims in high respect, but perhaps LaFleur just does not see what we see. And perhaps he feels that, you know, players like Berrios and the Smiths and, uh, you know, everybody else but Denzel Mims fits into the mold of, of his, you know, and I'm air quoting offensive scheme. Um, it's hard for me to, you know, to wrap my head around that, but you know, what else could it be when, when you're looking at a young talented player that needs experience and he's clearly not even, you know, being deployed or being, you know, factored into the game plan or, you know, I think you had mentioned something the other day saying, you know, even if the guy understands 20%, 30% of the playbook, get him in on those plays that he does, you know, understand and do well and get him the ball and see what happens because we've seen what he can do when he has the ball in his hands. And clearly good things can happen. So, you know, find a way to, to make him work within your system. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, when you think about the Patriots and Belichick, you know, they put their players with whatever they do best and that's what they make sure that they're doing when they're on the field so that it benefits the entire team. You know, they don't try to force players to do things that they're not capable of doing. Um, or they don't get, and you know, they're, they're a little cut and dry with the way they handle certain things. But uh, yeah, when you're, you know, a team like the New York Jets that hasn't been doing anything, you know, positive within the, the last few years, again, why does a player like Braxton Berrios, who's, you know, a good guy, a good locker room guy, I'm sure, uh, getting more reps than, than guys that really need it, especially in times when, when the game's already lost. So, yeah, this is, uh, 
This is an odd scenario, like we said. It's going to continue to get worse. Um, but, you know, hopefully somehow, some way, like you said, maybe this is them trying to get inside his head and say, hey, bud, you know, the opportunity is yours. The sky's the limit. You just – you got to want it, and you got you to gotta prove it and earn it now. Um, and maybe that is true. Maybe he just isn't showing enough, you know, in the in – either when they're doing film work or, you know, when they're they're going through their practices and they're trying to develop their game plan. You know, maybe some guys are not a quick study. You know, some guys are just, you know, they just like the ball. Um, you know, last night I'm watching the Mannings cover the ESPN game and Gronk games on, and they asked him, they said, do you watch film? And he said, no. I, I, I run past the guys that are in front of me and I go catch the ball. He goes, I watch film when I'm with the team, but, you know, I'm not like other guys that, you know, sit there and spend 20, 30 hours a week at night studying film. You know, he's just one of those lucky, God-given, talented players. And he's, you know, the size of of a mountain, so he gets away with a lot of things. Um, But Mims is not in that scenario to where he has this uber, you know, type of body that just dominates all that around him. You know, he's got to do a little bit more to clearly make his mark on this team. So, uh Maybe he needs to get better with his film study and, uh, you know, I don't know, make flashcards or something, you know, and test yourself every night to make sure that, you know, when your coach comes to you and asks you, you know, this package, you know, this call, what are you doing? Know your answer, you know, and be confident. Well, that, and and that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's on the coaches to get him to learn it. And if he's really – if we're if we're four or five months into having the playbook and he hasn't learned enough to play ten snaps, then he's either got an issue or the coaching someone's got an issue. Something isn't right there. I will say this though in regards to Burial Salas, I do wonder if he's seeing so many targets because the team I, I still you know, people tell me oh he's a conspiracy theory. Dude, Jameson Crowder. Now now listen. First mm. first he, he gets a he gets a mystery injury right before uh Right before the season starts, you know, a few weeks ago, he, he's all of a sudden not showing up at practice. And then uh, the team waits a few days, and they go, oh, he's got COVID, he's positive COVID, that's why, and he's got a groin. But the groin is day-to-day. They said the groin was day-to-day, what, a month ago. And then mm-hmm. he's healthy all week, healthy all week. And then he's, at, then he's scratched, and uh, Robert Fowler says, oh, he, he tweaked his groin on Friday. What, what, are, they, what are you doing on Friday? Is it a walkthrough? Yeah. He yeah. hurt his groin doing a walkthrough. Like that's that's Bizarre. that's you know thirty six hours to forty eight hours before the game, and and you're benching him again. And Braxton Berrios is getting ten, twelve targets. So I don't know if they're saying he like, listen, Saturday, right? Bra- I think he, he was, was activated well, he off was, the COVID like yeah, Saturday, yeah. which makes no sense if you don't intend on. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Co- COVID wasn't an issue. That spot to Co- somebody COVID else. Was, yeah, COVID wasn't an issue. He was he was they said he was gonna play. He was listed as questionable all week, but the the expectation was that he would play. And then Robert Sala says he tweaked his groin on Friday and uh and then again Barrios goes out and gets a bunch of targets. And I just I just wonder if they're trying to keep Crowder healthy to shop him. I mean the other part of me says, Well just play him, let him have a couple of strong games and somebody will trade for him. It's just weird. It, yeah. it, listen, may, maybe everything the Jets are saying is true, and it's just a wild, wild coincidence that a dude who they forced into a 50% pay cut ends up getting hurt like the day before or, you know, uh, a few weeks ago when, when the team was practicing in full, all of a sudden he's out, and then they say he's day-to-day, and then he's got COVID, and then he comes back from being day-to-day. He's practicing all week. He's going to play this week. And then on game day, they say, oh, he, it, uh, he re-aggravated that injury during the walkthrough. Um, it's just weird. I, I think they're looking at yeah. it and saying, let's make sure Braxton can play. Um, and listen, maybe nobody's calling. Or maybe the Jets are calling around and nobody wants Jamison Crowder for more than a seventh-round pick. I mean, I know right. if I were a team that needed a receiver and I can get Jamison Crowder for, what, $5 million a year, I'd give up, I'd give up a fourth for that. The guy can play. He's going to right. get you 800 yards, uh, maybe more if you got a decent system and a good quarterback. I mean, hell, he put up 700 with the garbage they've had the last couple of years. So Crowder can play. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, but the Jets, we'll find out this week. I mean, if he's I have if he's another a healthy. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, go finish your thought. I just have another odd scenario that I want to ask you about from week one to week two. What's that? Look, okay, so, um, you know, how about, you know, they ran the ball from what I'm seeing is they ran the ball 17 times week one with Tevin Coleman getting nine touches, the majority of the, the rushing carries. And then this week, um, you know, including Zach Wilson, it's 31 rushes, but I think that's because, you know, he was under duress when he ran. Um, so they, right, they gave right. their running backs 28 carries, and Coleman sees five, and Johnson sees 12, and Carter sees, sees 11. So from one week to the next, we're barely running the ball week one, and then we're, we're run heavy the following week, and we've completely mixed up our depth chart where Coleman goes down to, like, technically where I think he belongs, you know, a third down kind of receiving back role. Um, and now we're finally giving Michael Carter the touches. And he looked good in, in, in certain plays, you know, when the, the offensive line did their job. Um, you know, he had a couple of receptions, which were, were decent too. So I'm happy to see that, that Carter was getting more opportunities. I just thought it was really interesting how we were barely trying to establish the run week one. And – and then in a game where Zach Wilson is struggling, and maybe that's why we were running so much more, um, you know, these young guys get so many opportunities. Um, so wh- how do you feel about the running game from week one to week two? Well, I mean, listen, the, the run game, <clears throat> well, nothing, run game, pass game, nothing worked week one because of how bad the O-line was. But I will say what I did mm-hmm. like um, was the fact that Tevin Coleman saw a significant dip in his carries because, listen, Tevin Cole, if you went back through every episode we did this off season, and you kind of looked at either all of the new players or all of the projected starters, I probably – I don't think there's a player I mentioned fewer times than Tevin Coleman because the signing was weird to me. I didn't know mm-hmm. if this was a – you know, because he's familiar with LaFleur. I'm like, is he going to be a camp body? Because I – like – I don't yeah. – I just viewed him as the third best guy on the depth chart, and that was before LaMichael Pirine started playing well. And I'm like, maybe he's the fourth best guy in the depth chart. And then he starts week one. I'm like, this is weird to me. Like, I, I view oh, yeah. this guy as he either didn't be on the roster or he should be the third or fourth guy. And now week two rolls around, the blocking's a little better, and Tevin Coleman is, is spending most of the time on the bench. I just don't think he's that good. He's, he's not a young guy. He's probably lost a step due to the time he's missed. And I would much rather see Ty Johnson get the bulk of the carries with Michael Carter, you know, a close second behind him, even if you, you know, mm-hmm. even if you flip-flop them. They should be the, the two primary guys. Um, if P. Ryan can step in and play a little bit, that's fine too. But I, 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 what bothered me was when things weren't going well for Wilson – and as well as the offensive line was playing, I thought they just ran it a lot more. Um, I, I don't think they ran it enough. They were at 4.9 a carry on the day, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and to me, I would have just I would have gone ground and pound. And, and listen, I said before the season started that my expectation was that a Morgan Moses would start. I was clearly wrong about that. I mean, now of course he mm. wasn't as the injury affected, but I thought Moses right. would start. I was wrong about that, and I thought. First half of the season is going to be ground and pound, let the kid get his feet wet, lots of play action, you know, let him let him take his shots when they're there. But I expected sort of a 60-40 split, you know, run-pass ratio, if not more. Um, and I don't think that's been the case. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I just I, – I thought heavy, heavy run game, and especially last week when it was working well early on. I thought, okay, good, run game is strong. Just run the hell out of it, you know, wear him down, let Wilson make the throws when he has to. Um, but they relied on him heavily early on, which it, uh, it backfired a little bit. I feel like he's, I, you know, as I said in the offseason, you know, this, and it still, still blows my mind when you think of it, the team almost went to a damn Super Bowl with Mark Sanchez at quarterback. And the reason they did that is because they ran the hell out of the ball and, uh, and protected him. And, I, you know, I think Wilson's going to be a right. player. Better be a better player than Sanchez, um, you know, stronger arm, more accurate. So I think I think the way to go is ground and pound and throw when you have to, and see what happens by week seven, eight, nine. If you can start putting a little bit more on his plate, 
but it seems right now they're putting a little too much on his plate, and we saw that in the results last week. And I think it's a mistake not to lean on the running game a little more to help the kid out. Yeah, and, and what they need to do is they need to, you know, simplify certain things just to help him develop some confidence because you could tell, uh, you know, the one play that really sticks out in my mind um, was Elijah Moore's largest reception that he had. Uh, I think it was for, you know, it was over 25 yards, just under 30 Um Actually, I'm taking a look right now. It was 27 yards. Uh, Wilson, Wilson rushed that throw because he was constantly in his mind feeling that pressure and was like, I got to get rid of it now because I'm about to get killed again. Um, and, and rightly so. I mean, the kid's been eating dirt for, for the last two weeks. And, uh, you know, he, he had the time to set his feet make a good throw. He made the pass. You know, I'm not knocking him. He, he completed the play. It was one of his largest completions of the day. But you could see that because of the pressure that he's been experiencing and anticipating the fact that someone's going to get me if I don't get rid of it now, you know, that can really, really develop poor habits for a young quarterback. So, you know, as far as simplifying things, you really need to simplify the types of plays that you're calling and the pass protection as well, because you really, really can't have these like, you know, long developing plays to where you want him making those 15, 20 yard plays, like every single offensive series, you know, what the Patriots did against us is they dinked and dunked. And, you know, like I said, last night on our group chat, it was death by a thousand cuts and that's the Patriots. That's what they do. You know, they, they run simple plays at certain times, and they build on, you know, their players' confidence, and then they'll they'll go for the jugular when the opportunity presents itself. So I think that's exactly what they need to do is sometimes less is more and try to get his confidence by, you know, let's get the ball to the fullback, and then let's get a play to the tight end. And then once they try to make an adjustment, let's get to, to Elijah Moore and Crowder and then Davis. And, and keep the defense guessing on where we're going. It really, really seemed like early on they were trying to get the ball to Corey Davis early and often. And clearly when you're looking at the film from last week, the Patriots said, look, as long as we get, you know, put a body or two on 84, and if he tries to force it his way, you know, or that way, we'll be prepared. And, and that was one of the early turnovers. Um, he threw it into a crowded area trying to get the ball to, to Davis, and I understand pressure was in his face. But, you know, the, the Patriots anticipated that, you know, this kid has that gunslinger mentality to where he will take chances. Um, you know, he will throw into double, sometimes triple coverage. Because, heck, this, this guy had a phenomenal, you know, Zach Wilson had a phenomenal year last year. He threw over 70-something percent, maybe 73%. I mean, you know, seven out of ten throws were completed. That was his average, you know. Um, and on certain games, he had 80% completion, you know, at, w- with some of those games he played where he was just lights out, you know, and he was surgical with the ball. So, you know, some of those Saturday windows on Sunday become closed. Wilson definitely experienced that. I'm hoping that he learns and studies the film and, and realizes, okay, you know, I took a chance here. The next time that comes around, I got to find my check down or I got to, you know, throw the ball in the dirt and get outside the pocket so that, you know, we live to, to get another play. Um, so with all these bad experiences, they are learning experiences. And, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, what type of how he deals with adversity going on down the season and if he can, you know, overcome some of these things. You know, clearly if we start to see more of these situations to where his decision-making is not working or he's throwing risky, you know, risky passes, you have to simplify the offense in order to keep, you know, the game honest because – if you try to get too aggressive and, you know, these kids are all confident and why would they be, uh, you know, sometimes they're their own worst enemy. So I feel that, you know, even LaFleur, who's also, you know, his first year as an offensive coordinator um, is probably gung ho and wants to get his best plays out there because he's been waiting for this opportunity for years. Uh, but he has to show some reserve as well and realize, okay, um, my kid's got all the talent in the world. He's got, very, very accurate arm, and, you know, he's got a – he's a smart, intelligent, you know, young player, but 
I also have to keep a little bit of a leash on him just so that he doesn't hurt us and hurt himself and, and, and kill this kid's confidence. So, you know, everybody can do a little bit better to help this kid out, and especially up front, too. But, he, but at the same time, he, I mean, he's got to help himself. You know, that, that throw to Davis, um, you know, th- there's tight window throws, and then there's no window throws. Like, there was nowhere right. to go with that ball where it was going to be completed. Um, and as it turned out, he threw it a little bit behind him, which made it even less likely that he was going to complete it. So it's not as if he tried to squeeze the ball through a tight window. He tried to just squeeze it into a window that wasn't there. Um, and right. to me, the, the thought, and I, I mentioned this after the game, I really hope he's not, you know, the clock and his head isn't speeding up because if he's shell-shocked after one week, I mean, this past week wasn't bad. He had time to throw. I mean, he got a couple pressures, but nothing, nothing, you know, uh, that any quarterback wouldn't experience. So if this guy's mm-hmm. played a game and a, a, you know, if he's played five quarters of football and he's already, like, speeding up the clock in his head because he thinks that's what's going to happen on every play, like, he needs to chill out a little bit and understand that, like, there was a bad week, but this week it's fine. Like, you're going to get, there's going to be some mm-hmm. heat, but that happens to everybody and, you know, just, just take a breath. But that, that is, that was what worried me late in that game. Sort of, I, I can't remember at what point it started, but I started to notice, like, everything's off his back foot. Um, his yeah, arm and his he wasn't feet are in feet. sync. The ball is sailing. Mm-hmm. He's got wide open guys standing 10 yards away. He's got no pressure in his face, and he's just throwing the ball over guys' heads. And I'm watching it, and I'm going, yeah. this, is, this is terrible. But he's not setting. Yeah. He's not it, – it, it was just it, nothing clean about it. And honestly, the thought of it being uh, an effect of the pressure from the left, that didn't even cross my mind. I, I never would have thought to say, oh, he was under pressure one time or, you know, one week. So now he's all fucked up. Oh, so pardon my French. So now he's all messed up. <laughs> like that, that thought didn't even enter my mind. And, that, you know, and, but then I said it after the game and I was like, hang on a minute. Um, this guy shouldn't have happy feet after one rough game. Um, so. Yeah. We'll we'll see what happens with that, but well, um, you know the and one of the things I was saying during camp is you know every day I felt like when I was going there, with an exception for a few, it always felt like the defense had the advantage. So it was either that we were going to have this crazy awesome defensive line that's going to be causing fits every week against our opponents, or perhaps our offensive line really isn't you know coming together at this point. There were times where you know, you're not allowed to tackle and you're not allowed to hit the quarterback, but, you know, there was numerous would-be sacks to where guys are getting getting to the quarterback, but they're not hitting them. And then, you know, somebody will say, oh, yeah, he completed a nice pass to this player. And I said, well, in reality, it would have gotten, you know, creamed in a real right. live game, you know, in that scenario. So uh, the offensive line did not do him much justice throughout camp. And, you know, with all the moving parts, I mean, Morgan Moses – was the guy for, for from what I was seeing, and I was whole, definitely expecting him to be the starter week one. And when I saw Fant come in there, I said, wow, you know, is this because he's one of the captains and he he was a Douglas guy? But, I mean, but Douglas just brought this guy Moses in because, you know, we had some question marks with the depth at, at tackle, and, you know, we weren't sure if, if Fant was on the trading block or – and then he had COVID, so we were like, okay, this definitely makes sense that we have Moses here because if George isn't healthy or if he's not, you know, air quoting the guy that we anticipated him to be, at least we have somebody with experience on the right side that that'll keep this defense, this offensive line honest. But uh, to be forced to put more Moses in because of Beckton's injury, you know, almost exposes, you know, how they prepared throughout camp to where they got just a couple weeks before week one and then just kind of like, all right, we're going forward with this squad here and we'll see what happens. And, you know, six sacks week one, we had four sacks last week, that's 10 in two weeks. Uh, Yeah. You know, these guys need to do a better job and it's just not the tackles. You know, I'll probably say that, you know, last week, maybe a little bit better play from the tackle positions. I, I would like to think that there was more, uh, issues going on with the interior aspect of the line. Um, you know, AVT let up some pressures, and I know GVR let up some pressures too. Um, McConnor McGovern is on watch as far as I'm concerned. Um, 
you know, there's been some inconsistent play coming from him as well. So, yeah, uh, these guys really, really got to got to try to figure out um, who's doing what and who's not doing what they're, you know, should be doing um, and, and just start hitting the check boxes on, on what this team is capable of doing and, and what we need to do moving forward to make things better for Zach. Well, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the probably the most encouraging thing right now is that from week one to week two, we saw dramatic improvement in that O-line. Um, and if that continues, I mean, right now, Van Roten, to me, is the weak link. they got to figure out something at right guard. I said that after the game. But, again, there's not really, you know, nobody's going to trade a starting caliber player right now. Um, so you kind of have to make the best of them. And, listen, who, you know, we said it quite a bit this all season. Van Roten was terrible the first few weeks last year and then kind of got his head on straight, and he was, at the very least, he was okay the rest of the way. Um, even if he can do that, if he can just stop being a liability and be, you know, an all right player at right guard, I think the Jets will be much better off. But uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, but, Alex, I have to run. Um, glad yep. we were able to get on together. Uh, feel free yeah. to carry on and press on, do a little more, you know, maybe talk about next week's game. But I do have to get going. Yep. Great talking to you. And uh, looking Likewise. forward to get, uh, getting together again next week. But Right on. And, and hopefully next week we're talking about a Jets victory. So uh, thanks, Glenn, for joining. Um, this was fun. And, um, yeah, go do your thing, bud. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. All right. Be well. All right, folks. That was our very own Glenn Naughton. He's a working man. Had to get back onto the scene. Um, good to just, you know, mix it up and, and, and share our thoughts, uh, you know, collectively what's going on because everybody kind of sees things differently from, you know, this guy isn't doing his job or this guy isn't doing their job. And, you know, I, I Glenn has a really, really uh, good perspective on, on how he sees the aspects, you know, from certain players of this team. So it's really, really good to go back and forth and, and pick each other's brain on, on what we're seeing here. Uh, I'm going to wrap the show up shortly. Just want to get some, you know, some, some talking points that I had in my mind out. Um, not a lot of big news going on with the team. Um, from what I saw today that they did, uh, they – they had waived Isaiah Williams earlier in the week, but they signed him back to the practice squad. That's actually breaking news from a few minutes ago. So Isaiah Williams uh, is still with the team. Uh, they signed Delshawn Phillips, uh, one of our linebackers, to the active roster. One of our safeties, Sheldrick Redwine, was waived today. Uh, don't know what his status is. I guess we'll see if he ends up on the practice squad or maybe, you know, he'll be on the street. Uh they also, uh, yesterday, they signed Adrian Colbert, uh, another safety that we just got recently. Um, really seemed to be a little thin at the safety position here, but uh, thank God we got a good player like Marcus May. And I'm sure I'm not the only one, because I think it was like the second play of the game. Um, how in the world did we not come up with that, that forced fumble with Marcus May? That was a, you know, a clear sign that right from the jump that things were not going to go our way uh, you know, yesterday, so, uh, or Sunday rather. So, uh, but, you know, Patriots are, you know, it's in the past at this point. Can't really do much about it. Um, you know, we just have to be prepared for the next time around, uh, when we go against them and, uh, looks like we'll be going up against, uh, the Denver Broncos, who's one of the undefeated teams in the league. We're actually going against one of our former teammates, Teddy Bridgewater, um, I don't really know what to anticipate with these Broncos. They they seem to be a team that had a little drama with our quarterback situation. Um, they had Drew Locke uh, in place for, you know, a couple of years, and now it seems like Teddy Bridgewater's won the job. So we'll see um, what he has in store. One thing that the Jets should have is they should have plenty of film on Teddy Bridgewater, being that he was just with our team, um, you know, two years ago. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Who knows if, if we'll be able to turn things around this weekend. Um, you know, as Glenn said, falling to 0-3 uh, really, really puts the Jets, you know, in a position to where the year's almost all but lost. And, and that's kind of sad that we're talking about that in September. Um, from what I've seen the last two weeks, I'm not very confident on, on our going against our opponent this weekend and coming out with a win. But, you know, any given Sunday, crazy things happen. 
maybe these last two weeks will ignite a fire and wake this team up and maybe they'll go out there and impress us and, and pull a W. Uh, but, you know, if I had to be a betting man, uh, maybe the Broncos are the safer bet for this, for this upcoming weekend. Uh, that will be a 4 o'clock game on CBS. Um, definitely like the, the 4 o'clock games. Um, really get to concentrate, sit down, relax, and, and watch the games. Uh, you know, getting together with my friends and everything like that for the 1 o'clock games. There's so much going on, and it's really hard to tune in and focus with, with all the distractions of, of all the other games going on simultaneously, especially if you're into fantasy sports and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the 4 o'clock spots. Uh, before we get out of here, um, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Mile Social. Um, if you are a business that's trying to expand your social media presence, please get together with milesocial.com. Um, they can help you improve your social media management, your web design, your search engine optimization, and marketing as well. So don't hesitate. Go to M-I-L-E-S-O-C-I-A-L.com, milesocial.com and see what they have in store for your business. Uh, don't forget, we also have the number one fan forum in the NFL, jetnation.com. Uh, go up, sign, sign up, download the app, uh, nonstop Jets conversation over there. So don't hesitate to get involved in that. Um, you know, that's where everybody that, you know, needs to get those their emotions out and rant about, you know, a win or a loss, jetnation.com is where you need to go to, to get involved in that style of conversation. Uh, so, everybody, uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, just had under an hour here. We'll be back next week, uh, Tuesday, 6.30 p.m., Jet Nation Radio. You guys know the drill. So, everybody, uh, have a good week. Hopefully the Jets can turn this thing around in the next few days um, and get us our first win for the season. So as per usual, everybody, go Jets. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23 and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.